again. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump straight in. Uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, before we do anything, please join me in a time of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much for these, your people. Thank you so much for Pastor Tim. And uh, what a privilege it is to be the last uh, sermon they'll hear as a gathered church this year. Oh, Father, would you bless our time? Would you bless our time in your word? Would you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, John chapter 12. Uh, Before we begin there, just some quick context of John chapter 12. Uh, Jesus has been in hiding. Uh, Jesus has been in hiding. Uh, He no longer walked openly among the Jews up to this point uh, because they had a hit out on him. Uh, They were looking to catch him. Uh, The standing order was for Jesus to be arrested on sight and put to death. So awaiting his appointed time, he withdrew to Ephraim, which was near the wilderness. Uh, We aren't told how much time has passed from chapter 11, verse 54, when we see right there Jesus no longer walked openly with him, and verse 55, when the Passover of the Jews was at hand. But we're informed that the Passover of the Jews was this significant event. It had all the people speculating whether Jesus was going to show up or not. So Jesus was all eyes on him every day, every day. He goes in hiding. The people are wondering, man, is Jesus going to come back? Passover's happening. You think he's going to come? I don't know if he's going to come. That one Pharisee looked angry. They trying to catch him. Is Jesus going to be there? That is the context of our text this evening. The question on the floor is, is Jesus going to show up? John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Friends, this is God's word. Uh, Our text begins with letting us know that Jesus had drawn close. He wasn't in Jerusalem, but in Bethany. He moved from the fringe of the wilderness to Bethany only a couple miles out from Jerusalem. Close enough for crowds to find out and come after him, as we saw in verse 9. Once the people found out where Jesus was at, 
He, they went in, uh, and saw him, and people went and saw him with mixed motives, some just to see the Lazarus back alive, uh, others to try to kill Lazarus as well. My, my general premise, though, is that Mary here stands as a paradigm or a pattern for us in understanding adoration. Church, say adoration. Adoration. And I'm going to try to share different observations within this category of adoration that we can learn from Mary about adoration. Uh, Let's consider the scene and look at verse 1 through 2. They're reclining at table, Martha, Lazarus, recently raised from the dead, Jesus, Mary, the disciples are there, and there's probably others from his home and village who are there with him. Now, the washing of feet was customary during dinners, as we'll know in the next chapter, when Jesus gets down to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus would humble himself in that chapter later, washing their feet, giving them honor. But here, Mary leverages this moment to honor Jesus, and she becomes to us in her example an example of appropriate adoration of Christ. Someone who rightly esteems the preciousness of Jesus. In a scene that seems to be a chill dinner with Christ as the honored guest, Mary turns it into a worship service. Verse 3, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Uh, Now, an interesting note here is there is debate on whether or not this kind of event happened three times or just twice in the Gospels. It's recorded in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. For instance, in uh, Matthew 26, which y'all will get to in a few weeks, so sorry. Uh, But in Matthew 26, 6 to 13, it says, When Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, Full of very expensive ointment, she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial." Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Very similar. I find it very convincing that they're the same. You have this cherished act, though, that's told with the gospel of this woman shortly before his death, lavishly honoring the Lord. And Jesus says, I want this to be frozen preserved and passed on as you pass on the gospel. All those who hear the gospel, I want them to hear about how this woman responded to me. It's as if Christ is saying through it, this is what I want. This is the worthy response to me. Don't just tell them what I said. Tell them how to respond to me. But as far as Mark and Matthew are concerned, we don't know who the woman's name is. It's just the woman who's killing it in adoration. The woman is anonymous in those gospel accounts, but I don't think the woman remained anonymous. I think it's Mary. Now, keep in mind that John's gospel is written significantly after, decades after, 
Mark and Matthew is written. So during this time, you got the gospel spreading and the story of this woman who gave it all to Jesus, worshiped Jesus, adored Jesus. It's going along, it's going along. And I think John, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, wanted to add clarity, which is why, just flip over one page in chapter 11, we get a very interesting couple sentences. You get this random note in chapter 11. In chapter 11 of John, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. This is before he died. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then just randomly, verse 2, before the event occurs in chapter 12, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Foreshadowing, right? <laughs> Her story was well known even before her name was, and I think God saw fit to give our example a name, to give her a place among that ever-increasing list of saints who by faith honor the Lord and stand as examples for us to imitate. Uh, so as we examine Mary's example, we want to consider what we can understand about adoration, worshiping rightly the Lord, rightly perceiving his preciousness and adoring him because of it. Uh, point one, the reflex of adoration. Notice the reflex of adoration. Uh, the text doesn't tell us of any reason or stimulus that caused Mary to take this worshipful action other than the fact that Jesus is there. You know who doesn't need to be stirred up to give Jesus praise? They show up to church ready already. They don't need the service leader to remind them they're happy to be among the number of the saints, happy to know the Lord Jesus, eager to worship him. And let's be serious, a person who must always be forced to worship is not honestly in love with the Lord at all. Mary serves as a picture of eager adoration. It's her reflex. She's eager to do it. Because what do we know about Mary? Mary had some reasons to love her some Jesus. And we know that Mary loved her some Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, we're told that as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Uh, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> She taught her to get up and help. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Just a side note, uh, ladies, for those of you who like to have hospitable homes and like to have meals for everybody, do not neglect the most important thing. Even as you try to set the table for fellowship to occur, don't set the table so much that you ain't at the table yourself. Whereas previously Mary had chosen to sit at Jesus' feet, now she eager and privileged to anoint those feet she was blessed to sit at. 
Jesus said Mary chose the good portion. Jesus said she had done a beautiful thing to him. Friends, is this your reflects to worship Jesus, to celebrate him, to honor him, to choose the good portion? Is it your reflex to adore Christ? Do you see him as all precious? Do you see him as all worthy? When you get in the mix and an opportunity comes to get the worship popping for King Jesus, are you one of the first people to get the party popping? Is Jesus all precious to you? Adoration is the reflex of those it's true of. Friends, gratitude stems from seeing glory, and glory calls for adoration. Uh, remember, this is what the psalmist did in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. The psalmist like, I got a reason to be hype in the worship setting because God's been good to me. Mary had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. She knew his teaching. She was sitting at his feet while he was going in. And I imagine Jesus was long-winded because it makes me feel better. <laughs> she knew his teaching. She knew his power. She's at a dinner with her brother who was dead. The only reason we're here is because of you, Jesus. Her brother, formerly dead, now eating some of the naan bread. Jesus had turned her mourning into gladness, and she loved him for it. Friends, those who love Jesus, who know him, adore him, because he's lovely. And he's demonstrated his loveliness to us through his works. And specifically, we know it's through the gospel. This is why I, I come, everybody got different church traditions, and I'm going to try not to go off. When I go off the manuscript, it gets really long. But listen, I come from a tradition, church tradition, uh, that is not known for its sound understanding, sound preaching. We all ran from it to get the Bible rightly divided in a different place. I understand that might not be some of your experience. It was mine. But what I always hated was how come where I go to where the Bible's rightly taught, cats ain't as turned up as where it's not. You be going there, they falling over the floor. You be like, that's ridiculous. But when somebody starts talking about the gospel of Christ, nobody falls on the floor. We got all this stuff. Those who know rightly about Christ got the more reasons to get stupid for him. We the ones that should be going home sweaty from celebrating him. We're the ones that should be pouring ourselves out in prayer, visibly engaged visibly giving it all, considering, because we know how much. I love the oldest saints. It didn't take much to get them started. Look, he woke me up this morning. <laughs> he started me on my way. <laughs> Give him the glory. Give him the praise. Soundness of mind, they used to say. I'm in my right mind today. And he should be praised for that. He's been good to you. But he's been uniquely good to you. If you know Jesus, discouragements happen, but they shouldn't 
abide because discouragements for a minute take our eyes off what's most significantly true of us. And that is, beloved, if you know the Lord Jesus, you have been loved by God. God has so loved you that he sent his only son to die on a cross for us so that we wouldn't suffer under the penalty of our own sins, so that we wouldn't know the exquisite torment of God's wrath forever, so that we wouldn't know the darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, so that we wouldn't know the separation from his goodness forever, but have eternal life, but have his presence where there's fullness of joy, but have the word of God, the promises of God, which are yes for us in Jesus, but have him pledged to us as a father, as a provider, as a protector, as a caregiver for us. Every day of our lives, we got a really big list of reasons to be encouraged, a very long list of reasons to give praise, to be excited, to have that reflex Mary has. This is love that, not that we loved him, but that he's loved us, sending his only son to propitiate for our sins, to pay for our sins, to pardon our sins. Beloved, what would you do if you saw him? Well, the lie is that you do something different than you would today. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Ain't nothing between us but air and opportunity. Don't think that if he was here in the flesh, we would be more worshipful than we are. He's done sufficient reasons to make us excited, splendidly so, to worship and adore him forever. Beloved, is this your reflex? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, forgiven all our sins. O oh, beloved, is he not lovely for that? Seated us with Christ in heavenly places. You might be broke, but you got all the spiritual blessings. And beloved, isn't he lovely for that? He's pledged to be for us, to uphold us with an inseparable love forever. Is he not lovely for that? And friend, if we have been so richly loved, if we've been so abundantly shown mercy, if we have been given such life when we deserve death, if we've been given this mercy when we deserve judgment, if over destruction and wrath we have been satisfied with steadfast love, what eagerness to worship should we to have? Oh, this should be a church of Mary's. My church should be a church of Mary's. We should all want to be like Mary. Beloved, is Mary's reflex your reflex? If it's not, the remedy is the cross. Uh, The cross is the fountain of reasons to worship God. Because you might not wake up by it one day. That's a good reason to give him thanks if he woke you up and started you on your way. But some days you just wake up and don't get started nowhere. Or some of the good gifts he's given us, which are great gifts indeed, they get taken from us. People die, bodies break, 
Harm happens. But that unchanging fountain of God's goodness, that permanent, abiding, unshifting testimony of his goodwill to us is at the cross of Jesus. My one question to ask a friend that knows you well is this. Do I have a reflex to adore Jesus? Are you spurred on to give Christ more glory because of my example? Do do you think that adoration marks my life? Friends here at Risen Hope, you want this to be an adoration zone as a church. Where cats come in, and if they don't know Jesus, they don't know why you're acting the way you're acting. But for those that do, completely understand. Adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Every Sunday, amen. We all have our blah days because we're all fallen and we're forgetful. But it shouldn't be our pattern. Our pattern should be one of adoration. Uh, Be concerned if we regularly show up to worship unenthusiastic. That means that we have actually forgotten what's most true of us. The love of Christ shown to a ransomed soul creates the reflex of adoration. But not only the reflex of adoration, we want to consider the abundance in her adoration. Uh, Look at verse 3, we read, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we're talking about approximately 11 ounces of perfume. So picture a can of soda, which is 12 ounces, filled with pure nard. So it was a pound, and we're told it's pure nard. So this, is a, this isn't the CVS perfume. This is the stuff you get from Macy's. This is the stuff that comes from Paris. Really, really good stuff. And she poured it out on his feet. She didn't just sprinkle a little bit or make a little bit of a deal. She went all in. Give me the expensive stuff, and I don't even want a towel to mop this up with. No, no, no. Those feet are worthy of my hair. Lavish grace calls for lavish worship. Beloved, it is impossible to overdo it for Jesus. You might be doing too much for your neighbor, but you ain't doing too much for Jesus. Beloved, we are never in danger of being excessive in our adoration of Jesus. He has given us abundant life, and we desire to give him abundant adoration. In Luke 7, we get a similar scene. You get this similar scene of someone anointing Jesus' feet. The Pharisees are there, Jesus is there, and a sinner woman is there. That's all she's defined by. But she sees Jesus, and she can't hold back the tears. And she starts crying on his feet and wiping his feet. She doesn't have the expensive ointment. All she has is unceasing tears. 
And as Jesus explains the story, he turns to the Pharisees who are scoffing at the woman who's abundantly adoring Jesus, and Jesus just gives them a quick side-by-side. He says, hold up, let me juxtapose this for you. He said, when I came in here, I got no water for my feet from y'all. She wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Jesus said, she ain't stopped kissing me since I got here. And you didn't anoint my head, though I was your guest. But she did. And he says, you guys are right. She is a big sinner. But her big sins are forgiven. And he attaches it to an explanation about love. That's why she loves me so much. Why she abundantly adores me. And Jesus says to them, he who is forgiven little, loves little. If we notice an absence in our reflex or adoration, we should give our first attention to the awareness of our sins being forgiven and how much they've been forgiven. He who is forgiven little loves little. And friends, the opposite is true. He who is forgiven much loves much. I don't buy into the whole cultural expression thing, by the way. I know it's a little different, but God made people to celebrate very similarly. Just different cultures do it at different times. So I remember being in a black church. Uh, they used to go in. There was like about eight, nine tambourines. Everybody was well-dressed, but everybody went home sweaty. They came to go in. And I remember being in other settings that was not that, or predominantly white ones, and it was very different. I'm not saying bad. I'm saying different. But I remember, as a new believer, realizing, because the first church had the bad doctrine, the second church I went to had the good doctrine, but I remember being like, why does it seem like they love him more? But y'all know him more. And I go to football games and I see everybody getting crazy. All the shades, equally crazy. Equally. So I don't buy that whole, we don't do that. Yes, you do. You have a body in one part to actually celebrate God with. One of the reasons for your hands is to clap them for Jesus. All right? <laughs> and one of the reasons you got feet with, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. Uh, your whole body, wholly devoted to adoring Jesus. Oh, be the pattern, risen hope. Be the pattern of a church that rightly divides the word and rightly devotes adoration to Jesus. Those who are forgiven little. Jesus says this is not a culture thing. This is a forgiveness thing. When you know what he's done for you. And beloved, I, I, as well as you can't explain it, has, have you ever received so much in a way you just know you didn't deserve and it just moved you? Well, beloved, this is what happened at the cross. Like, do we know what happened to us? 
what our sin debt deserved and what got rolled away. What we're entitled to. You want to talk about what we deserve? Spend some time thinking about hell this evening. Spend some time reading the passages. The, the, the smoke goes up without stop. The gnashing goes on without end. The torment doesn't lay up. The cost of sins is eternal. And we're the sinners. We deserve that. But we'll never have that. We get to go not where there's weeping and gnashing, but where there's joy and singing and celebration. The adoration of Christ. Where there's pleasure forevermore. Joy in his presence. Do, do you hear that sinner woman and do you remember you? I just had my family in town from Detroit and they knew the old me. They grew up with the old me. And I just couldn't help but be grateful that I am different. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. You're a new creature in Christ. And even there, Paul says, look, if we out of our mind, it's for God's sake. Oh, may our adoration be abundant, for his forgiveness has been abundant. Three, the costliness of adoration. Her devotion was calculated, and it was costly. It wasn't being forced, but she was being compelled by the love of Christ. I get easily embarrassed with certain things. I'm loud and obnoxious, so it's not with most things, but it is certain things. So my wife does not have that. <clears throat> So my wife CVSs. I might have told y'all about CVS. She gets free coupons for expired goods. She can tell you all about it later. But she goes up and she'll have a stack of CVS coupons. She'll go and hunt for expired stuff, get all the coupons, and then just get everything for free. If I told you how much it was, you would blush. But I always feel weird about going in with the coupons. I, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. I get easily ashamed. And this is a lot of times what, and it's stupid when you think about it, because like, what you, did you shame? And that's why free. And I, I watch a similar block happen when people want to worship the Lord. They, they start thinking about what people are going to think about them. I think it's a good habit every Sunday when you come in to say, Lord, what would I do if no one could see me? If it was just you? And however you would answer that, I think you should probably do that. Don't be distracting. Pastor Tim, I see you. Sorry. Don't be distracting. So don't run around hitting people. But there's a good awareness where to have of ourselves that gets suppressed and suffocated when we fear people. When we're worried about what the person behind us or the person next to us or the others looking around will think of us. And we're not thinking about honoring the Lord. Mary just didn't care. One reason we know she didn't care is because she used her hair. And it was totally indecent for her to do that. 
But she didn't care because it was Jesus. It was costly. It was calculated. He's worth it. He's worth people thinking she was crazy. He's worth the actual expense of what her worship was. It wasn't being forced out of her. She was eager to give it. Not tearful, not fearful, but cheerful. Look, when the text says expensive perfume, we're talking about italicized, bolded, underlined, expensive. We're talking about expensive like $100. We're not talking about expensive like $1,000. We mean expensive like a new car. When Judas brings up that the ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii, that is a crazy amount of value. This was probably left to her as an heirloom. It's probably passed down in her family. A full denarii is a whole day wage for a laborer employed full time. And he says it was worth 300 days wage for a full time laborer. That's your check, not next week, but for the whole year. This was her whole W-2. A laborer's year's worth of wage. And Mary's like, what's that in honor of eternal joy? Jesus is here. Friends, Jesus is worthy of everything you own. Everything I own. Anything less is totally inappropriate. If we don't love him more than mother or father or possessions or our children or our spouse or our very lives, he says, we're unworthy of him because what we're saying is that there's something more valuable than him. But beloved, all things are created through him and for him. And if we're to live for his sake and the gospel's sake, it will cost us nothing less then everything. This is what Mary understood. What's, what's this expensive ointment to me? Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small. Love so amazing and so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. Love, what we do for Jesus, what we sacrifice for Jesus, for his namesake, for his gospel's sake, you never waste a penny. It's not possible. Spurgeon once is known for talking about the cost of one soul who's one to Christ. And he says if the whole church lost everything they had in all of their lives for that one soul, they lost nothing. He's that valuable. To sustain a church in the ministry of the word is costly, but he's worth it. Fighting sin is expensive. It's costly to lose an arm or an eye. But he's worth it. It's never convenient to give to others in need. Jesus sovereignly situates it so it's not. You're like, how come every time? Because God. But he's worth it. 
Remember Jesus, he says, recall what he says to the disciples. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you do it to him. It's about him. The faithful have always concluded that God is their everything, and so they entrust everything to him for his glory. Recall the widow who gave her two coins. There were people in that gathering who had bigger accounts and cut bigger checks, and Jesus did not regard them. He said because they gave from their surplus. That wasn't a sacrifice at all. It's hard for most of us to think that a $10,000 check is not a sacrifice. (laughs) Or a $100,000 check is not a sacrifice. But it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And Jesus says, that widow with her two coins, that rocked me. Because she gave everything she had to live on. Those who know Jesus spare no expense in worshiping him. And this is not some stupidness on some let's get a private jet. Like Creflo Dollar in them. We're not talking about being a lover of money. That's not to mark a minister. That's not to mark a Christian. But what is to mark us is a, an excessive giving that shows we know Jesus is worthy of everything we have. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mary didn't outdo Jesus, by the way, Right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Love, is there something that you have that you would withhold from him? Something you would reserve from devoting to his name and his gospel? Is there something that he's bringing to your mind right now that you should give or give up, or that you are keeping for yourself because of how precious it is to you? Let us learn from Ananias and Sapphira. You remember them who gave much, but said they gave it all. And they lied against the Holy Spirit. God spared no expense to purchase us who are unworthy. Let us spare no expense to worship him who is worthy. I always think of the rich young ruler. It's... It's so apropos for Americans. The, the thing that drives me, the, the thing that really amazes me about the rich young ruler is you have this guy who's excessively rich, and he's in front of Jesus. <laughs> it's like his whole life was set up for that one moment when he would run into Jesus, and Jesus would say, give it all up and come with me. And the thing that always strikes me is, Who gave him his money? How did he get rich? It is a foolish thing to assume that just because we have, we have so that we can keep. God made the rich young ruler rich so that that one day in the fullness of time, when he was walking up to Jesus, he would take all of those riches and show how valuable Jesus was by giving them all up. But he didn't. He walked away sad. 
But Mary here is breaking the ointment out eager. What's the most expensive thing I have? Pour it on his feet. And let it pour thick. So thick that the whole house was filled with that smell. I want this worship in every corner of this here house. Let us give him our best. He's worthy of it. Next point, the humility in adoration. The humility in adoration. It's hard for us to appreciate how shocking this was, how all the way in she went. This would have been a spectacle in the best ways possible. (laughs) All eyes on this worship. Jaws would have been on the floor. She wiped his feet with her hair. His feet were not clean before she washed them. Let's make that clear. Second thing is she wiped his feet with her hair. Between the toes, all of the stuff on the feet, now all on her hair. Now some of you make a big deal about hair. It rains, and that joint gets covered first. There's head wraps and things to preserve the appearance of said hair. People spend a lot of money on hair, either to acquire hair that they did not get born with, or to style the hair that they have. But Mary's like, what better use for my hair than washing his feet? Can you think of a better use of your hair? Dishonors herself to let down her hair in mixed company. But she's not seeking the approval of man, but of God. Whereas John the Baptist communicated he was unworthy to touch Jesus' sandals, Mary, displaying a similar value, similar worth of Jesus, lowers both herself and her hair, counting it an honor to wipe her Lord's feet with it. And we see right when that happens that not all people perceive the beauty of this worship setting. For when you have such extravagant worship, you'll have opponents of it as well. There's opponents of adoration. Next point. They're often opponents of adoration towards God. You remember when David, when the ark came back. When the ark came back, David danced with all his might before the Lord. I used to think he danced his clothes off, but that's actually not in the Bible. I got that from, I think that was a Fred Hammond song, but that's not in the Word. He danced with all his might before the Lord and his wife, Michal. She would not have that. She despised him for his lewd dress. It was beneath him. He was not behaving distinguishedly enough. And she was wrong. They was like, uh-uh, this ark's back. <laughs> this ark, like, God's blessing had returned. It got taken away. It was back, and he was happy, and he led the charge. It's okay if Pastor Tim dances down the aisle every now and then. 
Y'all send me a video when that happens. <laughs> oh, but just because it's beautiful to some does not mean it will not be grotesque to others. How, you did what? Judas, an opponent to adoration. Look at verse 4 through 6. One of his disciples, so-called, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The text says he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Oh, how often people use wisdom as an excuse to not worship. Say they don't want to be unwise. They don't want to be a distraction. Judas scoffs at Mary's worship, but he disguises his despising of Jesus. What he's really saying is, Jesus isn't worth that. He's going to show he didn't think he was worth that. He sells him for 30 pieces of silver. But is there a price? Is there an amount that produces a scoff from us? Is there anything that someone does in their worship of God that creates a gag reflex in any one of us. May it not be. Is there any amount worth more than Christ? J.C. Ryle says a cold heart and a stingy hand will usually go together. What he missed is Jesus is never outdone by what we give up. And it's never a waste, anything devoted to him. It's impossible to devote all we have and to waste any of it when it's devoted to Jesus. We don't outgive anything to Jesus. We don't out-honor Jesus than who he actually is. Jesus is so valuable. He's so precious that in eternity, the scenes we get is that the whole universe literally orbits around him being rightly esteemed and worshipped. But people despise him and they despise when his people love him. This is what was happening with John Chow, our brother who went to the Lee's people, gave his life and died. And did you notice the despising of adoration? The opponents to adoration. He wasted his life. I can't believe he's like, he ain't waste nothing. He ain't waste nothing. What he misses about Mary's worship here, Judas, is she isn't wasting the ointment on Jesus, for you can't waste something on Jesus. Jesus says, look, I, I'm, and he tells them he's going to die. You see that? He says, you'll always have the poor with you. Verse 7, leave her alone so that she can keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with me, you, but you do not always have me. Judas was playing a real but secondary matter above a primary and eternal opportunity. But Jesus says, no, she's actually seeing the situation right. I'm about to die. Let her honor me. 
The poor you'll always have with you. You'll always have an opportunity to honor them. Don't put one against the other. They're not opposed. Jesus is unique. He deserves unique worship. He deserves unique adoration. But Judas isn't the only opponent we see from verse 9 to 11. Look at this. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And you're thinking, man, so we can get more opportunities to worship. Wrong. Look, whom he had raised from the dead, verse 10, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They're so angry with Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus because of how he draws attention to Jesus. I'm so mad at him, I'm mad at everybody who draws attention to him. Here's what you see in the persecution of the church around the world. It's a hatred against God that gets aimed at his people. Some direct their hostility towards God to the people of God as they stand as uncomfortable reminders of God's glory and their own judgment. If they desire the end of God, that hatred will turn on all those who are happily linked to him in Christ. Those who hate God hate those who remind them of God, which is why the gospel is not received everywhere. And neither are his messengers. We live as evidences of God's goodness and glory, the aroma of life to some, but it's the stench of death to others. Which brings us to the last point, and that is the consummation of adoration. Because even though much of the world despises the worship of God and opposes the worship of God, Jesus receives it. The most important person in the universe, receives it. Who care what Joe and Auntie May think if Jesus is pleased? He said to this, uh, he said to her, leave her alone. Leave her alone. This is for me, and this is right. Jesus is saying this act is not disconnected from the glory of God on vivid display through the cross. Indeed, it's appointed to it, received, and it will be rewarded. Hebrews 6 says, God is not unjust so as to overlook the love you have shown for his name, even in serving the saints as you still do. He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't oppose it. He receives it and rewards it. And such adoration didn't conclude at the cross. It continues past the cross. Adoration will always continue towards Christ because of the cross. And that's what heaven is. It's the assembly of adoration. The 24 elders, those who are honored among the assembly, fam, what do they do with their crowns? The honored ones use their honor to honor him. They take their honor, and they pour it on him. Worthy are you, O Lord our God. The elders, the creatures, the assembled ones are falling down. They're crying out with loud voices, worthy is him. Worthy is the lamb. He ransomed people for God. 
And that's in fact going to be the right perspective of everyone who will be there, no matter where they're from. This is another reason I know that adoration ain't cultural. Come on, baby, because what happens in glory? There ain't a loud section in glory. No, no, no. Every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Worthy are you, O Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Did you hear that? Worthy are you to receive from who? To receive it all. Or power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. He's worth it. It's due him. It's owed. It's right that it goes to him. And he says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I don't know what that means. And in the sea and all that is in them. But he's saying all people everywhere. Anywhere there's a living thing saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Friends, the adoration of Jesus is the theme of the universe. It's the purpose of existence. And it ought to be the obvious theme of each of our lives right now. It is from him and through him and to him all things. May it be from all people and all people in here. And the church said, amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We once were worthless, living worthlessly, but you have helped us to see who we are in him. You have helped us to see who he is for us, and might we adore him. Oh, be pleased, be pleased to make us more fervent worshipers. Might we serve you with zeal. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.